Well, good morning and welcome to Lifestone Church. I'm Pastor Ben. Uh, thank you for being with us on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we are so thankful uh, that God has blessed us so many ways in this country where we can freely proclaim the gospel and uh, the sacrifice that, that so many have made to make that possible. We're truly thankful. Let me pray and we'll jump into God's word. God, we come to you humbly. Uh, asking you to speak to us. God, I thank you that you have not left us in the dark, uh, wondering who you are or what your plan is or what, what you want from us. You've revealed yourself in your word. So God, thank you for that. I pray that we take that very seriously, that as we hear your word, that we know it's from you, that we know it's your truth, that we know it guides us to the kind of life that you've created us to have, the kind of relationship you want us to have with you. God, I pray this morning... Um, that you truly change our heart, change our mind, and, and direct us uh, in the way that you want us to go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, we are uh, still in Romans. Um, like we said last week, it's, we're going on, you know, four years or something in the book of Romans. It's good stuff. I absolutely love this book. One of the, the most influential books of the Bible. Uh, many of the great Christian leaders throughout history have pointed to this book as being the one that, that has had the greatest influence. And, and it's this dude, Paul, this crazy guy who has this incredible transformation when he encounters Jesus from being a persecutor of people following Jesus to becoming someone who writes uh, most of the New Testament. And God uses him in that powerful way. And Romans, like we've said each week, is is his kind of most complete presentation of the good news, of the gospel. Um, and so that's, that's one reason I think it is so powerful. Um, and what Romans does is it lays out, because it lays out the gospel and the truth, it lays out why it's so different than any other religious system, any other approach that people have come up with to try to be made right with God. Um, it first spells out our greatest need in the first few chapters, chapter 1, 2, and 3, that, that we come incredibly short of this awesome God, that we are a far cry from his holiness and his perfection, that, that our sin and our rebellion creates this incredible, vast rift between the relationship we were created to have with God um, and this holy God. Um, and then he gives us some hope and some good news. And, and this is where it transitions, I think. Where, where some of it, some religious thinking people of like, oh, here, here's another presentation of a religion, of someone claiming how we're right with God. And they start out saying, hey, you are so far from God. We're all far from God. The, the best of us, we don't even begin to approach how holy he is and how worthy he is and how good he is. And there's nothing we could do. The worst of us, we're, we're far from God. The religious people, we're far from God. And then I think some people would assume, okay, now he's going to present a formula, a system in which we can be made right with God because that's some bad news in the beginning of Romans, that we're without excuse, that we're, we all fall short of God's glory. And that's not the direction the rest of Romans goes. He then begins to contrast basically the law, the idea of the law and following the law with faith. 
And you see that those two are kind of used to, to make a distinction. There's the faith way and there's the law way as he presents it. And he's coming from this very Jewish background and, and he's speaking often. I think he knows there's going to be non-Jewish people, Gentiles that are, that are a part of this audience being written to Rome. But, but still, he's, he's kind of primarily kind of gearing it towards the Jewish audience. And this idea that the law approach is what most people would expect a religious book to point to of how we're right with God. Just here's the rules, here's the regulation, here's the systems, here's the people who have the authority to make us right with God. Here's, here's the, the ceremonies and the rituals that we have to do to appease this angry God or this God who, who you know, we, we have to make up some kind of debt to. And, and, but he says, no, that doesn't work, that won't work. We, we don't have the ability to, to be right, right with God based on any system any rituals, any rules, anybody else who is who's somehow deemed worthy and ha- somehow they can show us the way or guide us. Or... And he says, no, it's the faith approach. And the faith approach is simply understanding, believing what God has done for us instead of what we do for God. How do we approach God? How do we make things right? What systems do we try to follow? Paul lays out this incredible good news. That it's not what we do to make ourselves right with God, but what God has done to, to offer us, and to do to make us right with him. That, that he came down to us to do what was necessary to pay our debt, to make it possible to be right with him. And that's something we receive in faith, not accomplish through works, through systems, through rules, through through religion. And so um, we, it doesn't stop there, right? And we talked last week about adoption because we see that theme. What a beautiful thing. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you should love adoption because you're adopted. The Bible says you're adopted into God's family through faith in Christ. So adoption is this very beautiful concept that, that has described our relationship with God. And, and we looked at that, and it's not that we just get our, our, our slate wiped clean, right? And that's not it. Like, oh, we're broken, we're messed up, we have this sin debt, Jesus paid the debt. But there's so much more than that. We get the righteousness of Jesus credited to us. Amazing. Amazing grace. What does grace mean? Unmerited favor. It means something you can't earn, but it's gifted to you. Um, we get God's Holy Spirit living inside of us, guiding us, empowering us, um, uh, motivating us. Um, we get adopted. That's what we focused on last, last week. And, and I love how Paul keeps on saying, hey, we're not slaves to sin anymore. We now have this new relationship. We're adopted into God's family. And it's not to be a slave under God, it's, it's, and he uses some, and we're a slave to righteousness, but it's a very positive thing that we're adopted into his family. And so we're adopted, um, and then he goes on to say we're heirs to the throne, that we're a part of a royal priesthood. So we get, what do we get? We get our sins forgiven, 
We get the righteousness of Jesus credited to us, not that we can earn, just given to us as a gift. We get God's Holy Spirit. We're adopted into his family. And we get a priesthood that is based on Jesus' righteousness being credited to us. It says we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people who accept Jesus. So we have this priesthood and we're saints. You guys need to like, you know, change your nameplates or your tags or tell people to call you, you know, St. Jackson, right? Okay, I'm seeing if my boy's awake. Um, But we're called saints. That's not some specific super religious people who follow the Christianity at a higher level. It's you have the righteousness and holiness of Jesus credited to you. You, it doesn't get any better than that. And so we're, we're called saints. We have this royal priesthood. Um, and then he talks about, and this is what we'll get into and start this morning, that suffering is a reality of going through this world. So it's kind of weird, like takes this kind of weird turn. But, but think about throughout human history, people who have often said, if you're suffering, if, if you're broken, if, if you have any kind of issues in your life, even if you, you know, uh, career-wise or health-wise or whatever, that's probably God's disappointment in your life. And Paul, and Jesus often does this, just kind of wants to get rid of that thinking. That's just more law thinking. That's more religious thinking, that we do these things, and if God's happy with us, then everything in life is smooth sailing. So Paul addresses this suffering component. And no one suffered like Paul. You look at some descriptions of what he went through. And, and yet, then hear how he describes it as we jump into Romans chapter 8, verses 18. No one suffered like Jesus. No one suffered like many of the apostles who started uh, the, the, the Christian movement and started uh, really the beginning of it. So in Romans 18, are you guys excited to talk about suffering? Romans 18, verse 18, he starts out and said, says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory uh, he will reveal to us later. And, and, and I love that, although if you see a list of Paul, uh, what he's gone through. I mean, at one point, I think this is kind of interesting. There's, there's kind of speculation and debate Paul is in a town, he's preaching, he's stoned to death, people are throwing rocks at him, you know, that's, I know we can think of a different context there, but people, when they got stoned back then, it wasn't just a punishment, it wasn't like, hey, we're going to teach you a lesson and throw rocks at you, it was, we're going to kill you in this vicious, horrible, cruel way. He's stoned, he's laying there, bleeding and beat up and stoned, and everybody walked away assuming, okay, this is something that happens in our culture, he's dead. He pops up and takes off and goes to the next town. So so some people, we don't get the kind of detail that we want, I want in heaven, you know, like I'm renting that, like there's going to be Netflix of of some sort in heaven, and I'm going to be like, all right. I want to see what exactly happened to Paul when he got stoned. (laughs) Um, But that there's another resurrection happening there. (laughs) God's just like, hey, well, (laughs) they killed him, but I'm God. 
Get up. <laughs> I still got stuff for you to do. <laughs> I want you to write Romans and stuff. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And uh, he suffered. I mean, that's my point. He was shipwrecked. He was snake-bitten. He was, um, you know, rejected and, and, and a lot of uh, uh, torture. I mean, physical suffering he went through. He had a pain in his side that it never went away, and he prayed to God, why, are you, uh, why, do, you, why do you not take this away from me? And he, his, his conclusion was that God was uh, reminding him to, to uh, depend on him. And, and, uh, and so um, all these things he went through, and he says, think about that. Like, I can't imagine going through half of what he went through. And he said, guys, you don't understand. It's not even close to try to compare. If you were to say, okay, uh, all this suffering that God wants me to go through or heaven, ah, which one? Ah, man, I don't want to go through all that suffering. Not that that suffering is what gets you into heaven, but just like, you know, well, that's God's plan for Paul, and he went through the suffering. And, and, and he's saying, if you were to sit there and try to contemplate, do I want to go through all this suffering, if that's a choice, or not go to heaven? He said, it's, you, you have no idea that it is just, in, in other places, he calls it a light uh, inconvenience, basically, the kind of suffering that we have to go through compared to what God has in store for us the incredible um, heaven that God has in store. And so I, I was trying to think of a comparison that, 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 that we could maybe relate to here, here in our world and uh, in our experience, and maybe childbirth. You know, when I talk to my wife, now this, most of the time, she's like, you know, if, if she had to go back and go, you know, childbirth was not awesome, not something I would want to choose. But... Would I do that? Would, would that? How would I compare that to having these three beautiful children? And some days she might be like, eh. <laughs> no, no, of course not. That's why we laugh. You know, that's silly. But that is just, you know, okay, that's hard and that's painful. And, and, and thank God for some medical advances where women don't have to go through some of the pain that they used to and stuff like that. But to compare to even... To even contemplate that for a moment, you'd be like, oh, man, I'd go through something more difficult. And that's what Paul is saying here and trying to give us a glimpse and give us a hope of what is in store uh, and give us that eternal perspective. goes on in verse 19, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it, will, uh, when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And so Paul gives a description. He goes all the way back to Genesis 1 through 3, uh, the first uh, part of the Bible saying, what's wrong with this world? Sin broke everything. Sin devastated everything. That even creation, and the description we get here is groaning because it's broken and it's messed up. And um, uh, I, I think it's inter- interesting that, that he says in, the, in verse 19, um, for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. That 
you know, and, and I don't say this to be mean-spirited or discourage people, but just the truth of God's word, we are not all God's children. And there's one more verse that reveals that. The only ones who are God's children are those who have been adopted through faith, through receiving the free gift of salvation through faith in Christ alone. And it says right there that those will be revealed. And, and we, we, we await that day when this, this, this world and this sin thing is, is all wrapped up and God's plan is, is ultimately fulfilled. And so he's describing that. Hey, you guys are going to suffer in this world. And, and it's, remember Genesis? Remember what happened? It didn't affect just our relationship, humanity's relationship with God. It affected everything. It, it, the, the world itself, as the ground was cursed, as, as we were kicked out of this perfect environment of the garden, that we now live in a world that's tainted by sin. And that's, you know, that's kind of a broad explanation, but, but it, it, uh, that's, that's what we're given about why we live in a world that's, that's not perfect. Verse 23, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. So once again, he follows up with us from last week, talking about this theme of adoption and and what it all entails and that there's more to come even, that we are adopted, but there's even more that's going to that's uh, going to be the, be the result of that um, and I forget where I dropped off 24 we were given this hope when we were saved if we already have something we don't need to hope for it but if we look forward to something we don't yet have we must wait patient patiently and confidently and then just talking about the 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 other details that come about through the adoption and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows that this, what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And then a pretty well-known verse. Some of you guys, if you have some Bible background, may have heard this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his uh, purpose for them. And so we get this description, and, and I love it because Paul, this brilliant, uh, analytical thinking guy who lays out all these brilliant arguments and, 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 and kind of hits them at all angles and, and, and kind of thinks, hey, I know what you're going to ask next, and, and, and just does this in such a cool way, how God... Uh, designed him and then used him to uh, inspired him to to reveal his truth in scripture um, when he talks about suffering and the world being messed up it's more general and broad and there's just like it's more emotion all right so I, I feel like I can identify Kristen was describing me the other day as like not good with like emotions and feelings <laughs> <laughs> having conversations where, like, that's the centerpiece of the conversation. I might want to go somewhere else and do something else, <laughs> but I'm real, you know, like, uh, kind of straightforward analytical thinking and uh, logical, just, okay, but this and this. 
And, and, and Paul, though, here, I think, steps a little bit out of his just logical thinking and just says, it's just like this feeling that the world is groaning and just there's something wrong and we sense it and the, and the world is messed up because of sin. And then it, we even see this as we pray and this picture of the Holy Spirit in us and sometimes in our situation and in this world, and we don't know what's happening, and we don't have all the answers, but we trust a God who is in complete control and, and, and has a plan, and we can trust in him, and he's loving, and he's faithful, and we don't even know what to pray sometimes. But the Holy Spirit's in us, and he communicates to God through our not knowing how to articulate what we're trying to pray to God. In your program, let's fill out some of these notes that I hope we can, we can land on. Life as we know it. What's our experience and how does this match up with what Paul is sharing with us? Number one, things shouldn't be this way. I mean, people who, who don't know the gospel or who reject the gospel view the world and they just have this sense, things shouldn't be this way. Things are broken around the world. Now, some people, you think about their, their answer for that. Many people, it's, it's some political answer. Um, many people, it's, it's some um, cultural uh, values that they feel like, you know, need to change. Um, but uh, many people think, oh, it's poverty. That's, that's the problem. Or it's education. Uh, you look at all, whenever the world tries to, I mean, you look at the UN, you look at political leaders, whenever they say, how do we fix the world's problems? They kind of hit on those things time and time again throughout human history. Education, poverty, health, and all these things come short. These are all kind of dealing with some temporary things and missing the mark. And, and we just, for thousands of years, we just keep trying to throw out the same solutions. The ultimate solution is the gospel. But they have this sense there's something as we're created in God's image that is, that is making us observe the world that we're in and go, it's just not right. Something's wrong. Something needs to be addressed. There's some kind of issue. And we all have that sense. I think that points to the truth of the gospel and that God is, uh, has a solution and and, and lines up with the truth of God's word. Number two, there's something better still to come. Yet, even those who don't know the gospel or reject it again, and those who do, of course, have this sense that when someone passes away, one of the most common things we say, regardless of their faith even, is they're in a better place now. Again, the human experience throughout history has an idea overall. There's exceptions, of course, that there's something better in the future. There's something brighter and more positive and, and, and dealing with the issues that we see of the brokenness around, of a, around us in the future. It's this idea of an ant- anticipation of hope. And, and God reveals that. Like That's within the human spirit, but God reveals the details of that in the gospel, in Jesus. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 speaks of this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily entraps us uh, or trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. And we, and, and we get this, this encouragement that, that there is something to be hopeful about the future. And that, that we should have that eternal perspective. Um, number three, everything is going to work out for some. And that's where this passage ends. And this is an incredibly important distinction. That there is a huge important qualifier in that verse. That this is on coffee mugs. This is on bumper stickers. This verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good. And if you stop it there, it's out of context. It's not true. You have to continue the verse. And it says, works together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Things don't work out. When, when we say, well, everything happens for a reason, um, that reason might be evil and bad and horrible. And not, not, not something that we would want. God is not. I know that may make us feel good, and that's just a cliche we throw out there. But that is not true. The Bible doesn't preach that. <laughs> that some things are evil, and it ends there. But somehow, we have a God who is so in control, so powerful, so incredible, he can take evil, and for those who love him, he can turn that and use that for good. Of course, the most beautiful picture we get, or the, the easiest way to, to view that is the cross. Just this horrible, evil thing happens to the, the perfect son of God. And yet, we call it Good Friday, right? Um, it's the best thing that's ever happened for us. And so, um, I know that's not the most encouraging thing, but it should spark something within us to help people know who God is, that he cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He cannot, the whole issue is he will not, and he cannot allow sin into heaven. That's the issue, that he allows sin into heaven, and what does it create? Eventually just another Utah or whatever, wherever we live, Right? Just another place where a bunch of sinful world are going to, sinful people are going to break everything. And it just becomes that. It's not something more, uh, something that we're longing for and hope that is greater and better and fixed <laughs> from what we experience here. And so that is, um, as a loving God, he's a just God. And he's done everything possible to make, to do what's necessary to make us right with him. He did all the work. And then we also know that love is not something that can be forced. And so he gives us that choice. He gives people the choice to accept that, to say, yes, I want to worship God forever. I want to be in relationship with God forever. The only way to do that is through Jesus. And so he can't violate his nature and just say, okay, it's, it's for all people. No, it's for those who make that choice. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Again, that's Paul, like crazy. They're small. That's ridiculous. I don't want to go through what you're going through. 
but his perspective and how God has revealed truth to him makes him say, man, no matter what you're going through, it's really small compared to what our eternity will be for those who are in Christ. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So here, more personally, okay, there's kind of a broad picture that lines up, I think, with what Paul's saying of the world. But your life, my life as I know it, um, I want to look at a picture of, of Jesus because I think this gets real personal to what Jesus has done. And, and I love this story of, of, of this miracle. I mean, Jesus performs all these miracles and all these healings, and this one's a little bit unique uh, among them. And so this is Jesus. He's pretty deep into his ministry. People have watched him do incredible things, raise little girls from death to life, um, perform all, many of the well-known miracles. This is a little later in his ministry. He's in northern Galilee at this, at this point. And um, we get this picture of what, what he does, how he heals someone uh, in Mark seven thirty one. So let me read this real quick. Jesus left uh, Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay uh, his hands on the man to heal him. So it's interesting, you get a picture that the community cares for this individual and that he's suffering, that he's deaf, and he has a hard time uh, with his speech. Um, Jesus led him away. And this is where it's a little unique, because Jesus, uh, I think he shows that it's not some kind of formula that he has to, uh, that, that, that is necessary to heal. He heals uh, in all sorts of different ways. So in this instance, he takes this man, which the community approaches Jesus about healing, and he brings him away in more of an intimate, private setting. Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spit on his own fingers. He touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed. Some translations will say he groaned. And we get this, this that term is not used very often in the Bible, but we get this picture of... The, God's creation groaning um, because it's under the weight of sin. And that we don't know sometimes even what to pray for God in the midst of our situation. But the Holy Spirit, you know, just takes our groans and, and, and kind of brings it to God and, and communicates almost on our behalf. And Jesus does it. He sighs. He groans with what's happening here. But first, we've got to back up a minute. I mean, he can, sometimes he would heal people that were a distance away in other towns. Like, he does not have to shove his finger in the dude's ears. But somehow, he thought this was important. Open up. I'm thinking, he wouldn't open up. I wouldn't. If someone just spit on his fingers, and then he's trying to approach my mouth, and be like, mm, mm. So I'm seeing Jesus, like, pry his jaw open. And like touch his tongue with his spit. That's weird and gross. Let's be honest. What is he doing? And why does he do that as he, you know, not, not as a spectacle. You know, I think it's a man that the community is concerned for. He's a man that probably got a lot of negative attention. Maybe he was a hassle. Maybe he was a bother to the townspeople. Of, of having to, you know, deal with him, as he, you know, whatever 
disruption he may have caused, not, not hearing, um, you know, as a part of the community. Maybe that was, I, I don't know what it is, but Jesus pulls him away and, and shows him at a very intimate level that he is bringing healing um, in this incredibly impossible situation. Uh, you know, I, and these are all speculations. Is he, is he reinforcing that, that his, it's by his hand that, you know, it's really by his word that he created? Is he, to someone who's deaf, and, and you think about that culture, they don't have sign language. You, you can imagine how he would maybe try to communicate, and then he can't hear himself, and so it describes his language is hard to understand. I don't know if, if, if Jesus is, is using a, a physical representation of doing something to communicate to someone who can't be communicated to in that setting. And even, even as he touches his tongue to heal his, his ability to speech, to, to speech, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't speech very well, uh, Welly. Um, again, it just shows a God who just is more intimate and concerned and, and connected with us. Um, and I think that's what he's kind of communicating in that instance. Just something interesting, I think, to think about that scene and why we get the description of it taking place in this way. Uh, verse 36, um, well, no, then he goes on um, and, it, and it quotes Jesus speaking in Aramaic. There's just a few little points in, in Scripture that has some, some Aramaic. And in verse 34, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, said Ephatha, which means be open. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and, and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Um, I think it's interesting, a lot of people, as he gives that instruction to in certain, uh, several places, don't, don't share this with other people, don't tell this to other people. And, and, and again, there's some speculation there of why he's doing that. But I think for one thing, he's saying, I've come to bring a healing that's so much greater than the temporary suffering of what people are going through. I'm here to pull off Easter. And, you know, I, I can't get, I'm, I've got God's, God the Father's directed me with his plan, and I'm following it. And, and I could, you could imagine someone with that kind of healing, they'd just be every day a huge line of people, and that could be his whole ministry if that's all he does. Um, that may be part of it. Uh, it may be that it wasn't time to go to the cross yet, you know, and so he didn't want it to be so publicly known who he was or what was happening to get the kind of press that would then eventually lead to the religious leaders that would eventually want to kill him, of course. Um, so we don't know what's happening, but I love that the people can't help themselves. That it's like, here Jesus, and you would think, okay, he's, he's got really good street cred, like, I'm going to do what this guy says. They're amazed by his teaching. They're amazed at the miraculous things he can do. He's, he's healing the deaf and helping those who can't speak. And, and yet, they don't listen to him. 
you know, and, and, and I think in some ways it's kind of a really good thing. Like it shows us, why we give the description that people can't help but share about how amazing Jesus is. That that's how it should be. That even when we, you know, have any kind of obstacles that we think we shouldn't share Jesus or tell about others, there should be. If you've experienced who Jesus is and you've had your own Easter, you've had your own healing, God has done that in your life, that you can't help. <laughs> you, just, you just cannot. It's everything within you wants to uh, cry out what he's done, who he is. Um, but, but number one, I want you to hear this story. And, and despite whatever suffering, whatever situation you're in, my situation is not impossible. I, I don't care. You know, we talk about being right with God based on what he did and accepting this free gift. And, and I still, as I try to articulate that, show scripture that clearly teaches that, I still have people say, but Pastor Ben, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know my baggage. You don't know the horrible decisions I've made. And your situation, no matter what it is, is not impossible. Mark ten twenty seven. Jesus looked at, at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. So we get a picture that God, in our, the impossibility of us to be made right with God forever and be in heaven forever, and that just seems impossible, but we know something's broken and messed up in this world, we see that in Christ, he shows just a small picture of healing somebody in an impossible situation. You could imagine he had no hope for ever having anything but being just continuing to live a life with the condition he was inflicted with. And so no matter what your situation when it comes to Christ, no matter what your background, what you've gone through, nothing is impossible. Your situation is not impossible when it comes to Jesus. Number two, God cares about your brokenness. And I love the intimacy that we see Jesus do and what we think, especially in our modern way of thinking, like don't spit and then put that spit in someone's mouth. But he shows just the, the care and that he sighs and he groans with the pain that people are going through. That God cares about your brokenness and your suffering and, and what you're going through. And he is not a God, as, as we get a beautiful picture that, that scripture describes, that, that can't understand what we're going through. But he intimately, and in, in Jesus, can understand suffering and understand every level of brokenness. Um, number three. God was willing to be broken to fix my brokenness. God himself. Man, Jesus, and I don't know, you might be here at Memorial Day and you're visiting family and someone drug you to church and you're like, oh, here's this churchy religious thing and what's up with this Jesus guy? I love that every time you open your phone, everyone's got your smartphones, right? Quit using them while you're driving. Ah. Uh, <laughs> My kids are like, I saw you do that. No, no. Um, every time we see a date, 2019, we're reminded that there was somebody in history that marked our calendar, that divided history from before Christ, B.C., to A.D. in the year of our Lord, 
Like, there's some, like, what do you do with him? He's a guy um, who uh, uh, we can't get off our calendar his birth and his resurrection. No matter what we try to do to rename it, to make it about presents and bunnies and candy or, or family or something else, still... 2,000-some years later, we cannot get rid of the incredible impact that one guy has had over all other people. Now, this one may sound kind of weird. Though people, you shouldn't do this, but, but you see the power in Jesus' name that his name is used as a cuss word. Like, what? There's something incredibly significant about this individual i mean i don't you know the other day i felt so stupid me and phil were meeting planning uh worship stuff he knows where i'm going i spilt my coffee like all over him and his computer and his thing yeah and um <laughs> i didn't like spill my coffee coffee and go ah ben franklin <laughs> like there's one name that people use in this horrible way that shouldn't be used in that way, but there's something incredibly significant. I didn't say that. <laughs> I don't draw that conclusion, but just how people would even abuse. There's this name that has power that they use. Like, what do we do with this guy? And, and I love how, what did, what did he say? And we get this direct quote of his Aramaic, what he would be speaking, and he said, be open. And we have, we have a world that asks everybody to be open. Be open to, you know, whatever people are trying to teach or preach to us. And my encouragement to you this morning as we wrap up, be open to what God is doing, what God is saying. I'm going to ask the band to come on up now as they have one last song to share. But be open to God's truth. Be open to the fact that he revealed himself in Scripture. Be open to the fact that, that God gives us incredible evidence that he is who he says he is and that Jesus is who he says he is. And just be open to those who have said yes to Jesus. You're adopted into his family. Be open to the fact that he says the most abundant, wonderful life you can have is, is him as Lord, him leading your life, him guiding your life. And so I pray as we, as we uh, are reminded about that cool story of his healing, and he says to be open, be open to God. He's the reason we're here. He created us, and he made a way for us to have an intimate relationship through faith in Christ.